Thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam the Sam Moses. Wow. <laughs> All right. What an intro. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of went right for it. Sam and I have been having a little bit of technical Sam, difficulties. Sam, I'm talking on the phone for about an hour, and you figure one of us would have pulled up, you know, mm. our stuff, and and that one be me, and figured out all the technical prepared. difficulties. You were prepared. This is, this, is, this is a Matt thing, but anywho, today's episode. So you want to go analog? <laughs> yeah, 1950s voice. What do they call that accent? Transatlantic. Wow. I don't know why they ever talked about that. Sounds correct. So with such confidence, even though it's a question. I think it's the transatlantic. I believe you. It sounds like I'm selling a blimp trip. It does. (laughs) Take a blimp across the Atlantic. It's the, it's like the announcer voice from, what's it? The movie Up. Yeah. yeah. Adventure is out there. It's a great flick. All right. I'm I'm done with that crap. Anywho. Um... Today's episode, So You Want to Go Analog. This is kind of about the mindset of approaching, hey, I am currently in the box and I am not wanting to stay in the box. And what do I need to do in order to go out of the box? Also, funny thing, Sam and I just realized that like episode five is analog to like, like going from going like analog to digital. And then episode 55, I guess we had some inspiration to say, let's go digital to analog. And, uh, Sam pointed that out. No one else pointed that out. So we can pretty much just like flip flop the names of all these episodes around. We have another five years. Like uh, 115 more episodes. So So you want to go? See you at 2 30. Anywho, so you want to go analog to digital. Sam, take us into housekeeping. Ciao, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Attack Release Show. It's like my own intro. (laughs) Anyway. Listener, thank you. We're so grateful that you're here with us uh, during this housekeeping segment. You have the unique opportunity to go like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. Give some stars on Apple. Uh, The main thing we request that y'all have been doing such a lovely job of is screenshotting an episode, posting it to Instagram, tagging Moses Mastering, tagging For the Record Mastering. Then we reshare that. Cross-marketing. We all get exposure, great word, to thousands of people, and it helps market everybody. And then we get to build a bigger community in the music industry. Yay! So if you can take 30 seconds, please help us. We need your help. Go screenshot this episode, screenshot one of your favorite episodes, whatever. Post it on Instagram, tag one of us, and we will then share it with the world. That's housekeeping. And Matt, my car mechanic coined. <laughs> Answer. Oh. I'll just Hello? keep rolling. Yes, I'm good. How are you? track doesn't really matter. Right. So, do you want to just leave it at your place? Locked up? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's a horrible okay, sound. Who the hell would make that sound? Okay, great. Would you like me to pay for it all on Monday? Jeez, okay, that is perfect. Yeah, when you're done, just pretty rough. And... Hello. Hello, this is on the telephone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that's it. a gross. Okay. That's a gross sound. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. Yeah, just call me on Monday. We'll take care of it. Thank you so much. Bye. Sam. Samuel Moses. Hi. <laughs> Calling Samuel Moses. Just keep it. Keep it running. David. Oh, I, I haven't stopped. Great. I have I, I have I have not stopped at all. My drive shaft. It's actually hard. funny because I started singing or humming or booping or bopping and then I started messing around with my uh, mass lick and I made a pretty weird pretty weird uh a surprise. Little, oh yeah, for you. <laughs> Thank you. My uh, drive, drive shaft part, I guess, is uh, it's delayed in trucking today, and then the snow's coming, so now it's going to be Monday, he said. Oh, shafted. Yay! And he was like, you can't drive your vehicle, because it's all taken apart right now. <laughs> Great. That sucks. Anyway. Um, Sorry about that. Thank you. That's fine. I'll never see it again. <laughs> Bye-bye, Land Rover. Um, uh, I need a backup Land Rover. That's oh. what you need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jen. I'm going to lock this in here and we'll keep going. I'm just going to say, uh, and that's housekeeping, and then we can move. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. And that's housekeeping. Yeah. Thank you. I love affirmation. There um, you go. Matt, do you want to dive in? Do you want to jump in? Feet first, head first. You choose. Both first. You're just sandwiched. Your head is at your toes and you're jumping in that way. Well, I have two questions <laughs> I can ask. And I can ask the direct question or the indirect question. Uh, ask ask the direct. Head first it is. Why would you want to go analog, Sam? <laughs> well, if you've listened to our show, you probably know that Matt and I are quite fond of the analog world. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go analog. Um, first, let's just clarify. I started fully digital, as most people do. Um, built up a, I'll say, quote-unquote, business, being fully in the box and being digital. But over that time, I got to use some different pieces of gear. I got to experience analog gear. Um, and I felt like the sound that I was often chasing in my head or what the clients were describing, I felt like I knew I could achieve that uh, by going out of the box and going analog. And when I say like the sound I was chasing, I feel like most people know what I'm saying of like this kind of dense life, you know, alive sound or dimension or 3D kind of all these buzzwords essentially that we use to describe analog glue would be another one. Um, they're all true words that I would still use at this stage to describe analog. And I think analog does those things better than digital still. This isn't a debate, of course, of can you make great sounding records in the box? Of course you can. I did it for many years. But I still think there is great value in analog gear and analog capturing. You know, we still capture with microphones, even if they're just going directly into a interface that's then emulating things. We're still in the analog world on some level every day still. We're not fully VR metaverse yet. <laughs> we, are, we live in analog um, and capture in analog. So I really love analog because it is different than digital. Analog highly focuses on, in my opinion, like the meat and potatoes of a source. So digital is highly concerned about keeping everything perfect, keeping all the transients perfect, and it's less concerned with capturing the meat and potatoes of the sound. Analog, however, and this is why I like it, is less concerned about preserving everything perfectly, but it's more concerned about with the way you have to gain stage things and the way it just works out. Analog basically, in my opinion, focuses on the character, the heart, the soul, the mid-range, the thickness, 
kind of everything we really, I think, enjoy about records, analog captures and focuses on those things more. Whereas digital is much more focused on like perfection and sterilism. Sterilism? Is that a word? Sterilize sound. Sterilism. I'm making that up. So Sterilizing? Why would you want to go analog? Because you have a sound in your head or there's even records that you've looked up and you go, who worked on that record? Oh, it's so-and-so. And you go find them and you go, oh, they have this gear. Of course, it doesn't mean they necessarily use that gear and you don't know how they used it, but there are so many records still that have analog influences on them and those analog sound fingerprints are a huge deal when you make a record. And a lot of people I feel like come to come to me or come to master engineers in hope of us injecting that analog sound that they're chasing. People are unsatisfied, not all people, but a lot of people are hoping that I add some sort of warmth, character, and life. And I think when they say that with analog, it is because analog and digital are both different beasts. They do two different things, in my opinion. The comparison is really not even um, appropriate to me because they do such different things and have such different focuses and purposes. So for me, why do I want to go analog? Why did I want to go analog? I felt like I needed some tools to be able to really um, work in the way I wanted to work, to give the product I wanted to give to my clients, and to solve a problem, which was people still do. They send me, I'll say, very digital-sounding records that are kind of thin and lifeless. This doesn't mean they sound bad, but it's missing density or dimension or these things that analog can often give us. And for everybody out there who's like, well, you can do that in the box. There's so many great mixers or whoever work in the box. I know. I agree. Not really arguing that. But analog for me is a tool that I use for most clients um, to get the product finished, to get the record done and sonically get it to a place where they they like it better. It's like as simple as it is. They like it better. They think it sounds better. They tell me it sounds better. They ask me what I do and what I did. They ask me what I do and what I did. <laughs> it's a lot of it has to do with I used, you know, EQ and whatnot, but it's it's heavily based on analog stuff for the most part. So let me pause there and hand it off to you, Matt. Why? Why would you, why do you? Why, why, why analog? Tell me, how do you say analog? Why, why, why analog? Why, why analog? Uh, when I used to do a bunch of front of house, it was kind of like around the time that like the really, really smart boards started. And like, I, I guess smart is kind of a silly word because it kind of uh, doesn't really work all, all that smart sometimes. Um, so, I don't know. I wasn't like brought up in the whole like analog kind of like front of house board thing, but um, it was kind of like when they started really bringing out, say, like iPads and stuff like that, connecting directly to boards. And I'd always like, yeah, don't get me wrong, I could totally mix better in a room by floating around the room and like doing all these like parameters. But when you have all these like massive changes or something like that that needed to happen, it's just like, oh, this is all chunky and nasty. And then Behringer came out with this like X-Air 18 or something like that. And when it came out, it was super glitchy and it didn't have any like security so like anybody could connect to it. <laughs> and it wasn't like they were like mischievously connecting, like people were mischievously connecting to it. It was just like their phones were like, oh, there's a really strong signal. Let me go check that out. And they would just like completely back up the iPad. And then you just like, uh, uh, uh. And I was on a tour with this thing. And it was pretty difficult to use and um, kind of put a sour taste in my mouth for um, like using an iPad. And then I did a few other things for a few more years with iPads in front of house and it got a little bit better on the on the Midas realm um, but I would always find for some reason that I would just 
feel like I dialed it in better if I was actually doing that with my hands and um, like it's not like actually seeing it, but like just dial like like closing your eyes and just kind of like dialing it into taste and you just kind of know like how you're dialing things in. And so it's actually funny and how that's translated into mastering. Um, so for instance, I, I have it. I don't currently have it racked. It hasn't been racked in probably close to a year. So like my dangerous backs, like I have the plug-in. I've said this in other episodes. I have the plug-in and I have um, the hardware. It's like the same with the Massive Pass and the Very Mew and all that stuff. Um, I don't, like, I for some reason... Like pseudo psycho mental basket case that I am, I use the plugin a lot differently than I use the hardware, and I use the hardware a lot more conservatively than I do the plugin. And I don't know if it's because my mind believes that I'm not hearing it as much with the with the software. I don't know, but for some reason with me, I'm just able to work better and more fluid and quicker and more confident in the analog and I mean the backs I would say is probably the like one piece of gear that I've heard that is like the plug-in sounds exactly like the boxes but it's like if you're working in the analog it's like you know what if you want that type of an EQ curve like at that specific analog point, then obviously you have to have that EQ. You can mimic it in other ways with other EQs, but you're not going to get like, you're not really going to get like the same type of like curve structure that that has. So other reasons that you would do that are um, you would want to kind of like get a little bit of like tubiness as we've like talked about in like previous episodes. Um, you're getting like like, you're getting a little bit of depth, you're getting some liveliness, you're adding in some texture, and you can do all this in the digital. And I've done a handful of mixes, um, actually recently, that have been all like digital, and I never went out of the box. And I had my reasons for that. It's like all oh, gasps in the back. <gasps> um, I kind of feel like I'm cheating when I don't go out of the box, but um, the mix did not benefit from analog gear and analog processing. And that was just that. And so you can add texture and there are a handful of things you can do in the digital. And I found ways in the digital to get that depth and to get that liveliness and to actually get that analog texture. And there's like a few things that like I do that I have found, but nothing. I'm not working as quick. I'm not working as confidently, and like I just I don't feel like I'm doing necessarily my best work. But if something does not benefit from going analog, then we're not going to really take it in that direction. Um, do you want to touch real quick on why you would not go analog as that's what I just did? Yes, I can touch that. <laughs> okay. Why I would not go analog. Uh, I would not go analog if you don't feel like you're missing anything. Or yeah. I would also say there is there is an experience level, I think, that you can build up before you even consider going out of the box in that if you just were to buy a piece of gear, like a massive passive, and you've never really worked with EQs before, you don't really even know how to take advantage of analog gear. So it might be a quote-unquote waste of money to just go ahead and go all in on analog gear. Now, in previous episodes, I do highly encourage, I mean, invest into a great converter and monitors in your room first, you know, so you can actually hear what's going on. And so then when you do get analog gear, you can actually hear what's happening correctly. Because analog can sometimes be, um, and digital is that way too, but subtle changes happen. And if you don't have a good room to hear detail and clarity, then it may sound like nothing's happening. 
but in reality, there's a lot happening. So you want to make sure you have like some foundational knowledge of what what music it like how how to do things, how to engineer, how to mix, how to master, how to mm-hmm. produce. Like I think you would want to know me looking back, you know, I'm honestly grateful on some level that I didn't just buy a bunch of pieces of gear when I started and I just used plugins because it forced me just to learn the basics first. And then when I got a hold of analog gear, it was a much easier transition because I kind of understood EQ and compression limiting. And so to apply that then to analog was pretty easy. Um, so don't, don't, uh, don't jump too quickly into analog, but feel free to jump as well. Uh, if you're just curious, try something out. Uh, another thing I would say is don't go analog if you think it's going to like solve a lack of knowledge kind of goes into the experience part. Mm -hmm. But I have people who will say sometimes like, I'm just missing this sound or I feel my records don't sound like these other records and I'll hear them and I'll be like, well, it has nothing to do with gear. It has everything to do with the giant 10 dB dip. That's at 300 Hertz. Like (laughs) that's why the record doesn't sound great or the vocal sound cheaply produced or, the low end is just outrageously loud or or not there at all. There's a number of things that you can do to make great records that have nothing to do with analog gear. So I find that to be a lot of times when I ask people, why do you want to go out of the box? They usually don't have a reason other than sometimes they say, I think because my records are missing something. And if that's kind of your reason it's really hard then to even recommend a piece of gear because if you can't kind of tangibly say what you think, what the problem is, what you're trying to solve, then it's really hard to say like, yeah, you should buy Massive Passive or yeah, you should Mm -hmm. buy a Bax or yeah, you should buy, you know, whatever. So until you have clarity kind of, and this would just be my opinion on what you're trying to, what problem you're trying to solve or even what kind of color, even if there's not a problem, you're just like, man, I just think, I want my records to feel fatter or edgier or punchier. There are analog pieces of gear that do that. Like quickly to my mind is like API is usually punchy and solid state stuff is punchier and edgier. Big gooey stuff is kind of like tube stuff, you know? So there's, there's things, even if you just want to, if you have a sound in your head that you're chasing that, you know, that's great, but you need to have some sort of tangibility or clarity before you just go analog. So so don't go analog thinking it's going to solve all your problems. Also, don't go analog if you think that will solve your business problems. If you oh, buy yeah. gear thinking you can advertise it on Instagram or your website and think that will make people then like my work, 99.9% of people that's that doesn't work. People are not hiring you because of your gear most of the time. Um, they're hiring you because of your ear. With that, I do believe that gear is very important um, to my sound, but it's only important in the context of how I hear records and how I think the client wants to hear their record based on what they've told me. So make sure you're not going analog for... Um, a business strategy. I would not recommend that um, as where you should start for your business growth. Um, so those are kind of my main reasons or thoughts about it. The other thing would be too is analog is sometimes not the right fit, which we've talked about. So just because you have the analog piece of gear doesn't mean every record needs it. That's something I kind of got stuck on when I only owned like a piece of analog gear too. I was just like, well, I guess every record will just always have this on it. And then mm-hmm. there were plenty of records that did not benefit from, you know, the Black Lion EQ that has a vintage Sigmag transformer I added because it, that piece of gear is very rounded off sounding and fat. And so like digital clean pop or like really bright hi-fi records, they just get like thick and duddy 
which is not <laughs> what the client usually wants. So there's a learning curve with analog. You can totally ruin a record really quickly with analog if you are using, I'll say, the the wrong tool for the job, essentially. So that would be something to consider, too, um, with like why not to get into analog <laughs> is um, you, you lack self-control. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that would be like how I was when I started. I lacked self-control to be like, just because I spent a thousand dollars on this doesn't mean I have to use it every time. So um so those are some of my thoughts about why maybe you shouldn't go analog. Yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> cool. So and I think I covered kind of my idea on why you would not want to go. And it's kind of like, say your first piece of gear you buy is a, like a tube piece of gear. Yeah. And we'll get into like first gear purchases and stuff like that. But um, it's like definitely if like you have some like, no, no, super clean stuff and you have, I don't know, kind of like a thick tube, tubey piece of gear, then you really don't want like a hi-fi pop set, like pop, tune really rounded off in that kind of way and stuff might already be pretty hyped with it and tubes generally have a little bit of like a bloomage to them and you may not want something hyped even more and if you kind of don't have the I don't know I don't want to be a jerk when I say this it's like if you don't have like kind of like the maturity to like hold back from doing something and I've, I've said that in a handful of other episodes that like, you know, maturity is more oftentimes what you don't do as opposed to what you do, um, do or say. Um, so I can definitely learn from that. Um, anywho, do you want to go on to the part that no one's going to want to hear? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> what part is that? So when you go from analog, I'm sorry, when you go from digital to analog, like like what are you doing normally? You're like looking at all this like sweet gear that you need and um, you're like, man, how am I going to make all this work? And how's like this going to work? Am I going to get like a transfer console? Am I going to daisy chain it all together? Am I going to like, you're like looking at this thing with like all these IOs. Am I going to do like one piece of gear for like one like bank of IO and stuff right. like that? and. It's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Oh, this is going to sound so sweet. Man, this is so expensive. Um, and then you're like, shit, I got to buy a converter. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the like up front in the very beginning, it's probably like the most unsexy purchase 100%. that you could really dive into. But then when you get down the road a bit more, you kind of realize that it's like the most like important piece of gear that you can possibly buy. And we've done like whole episodes on converters right. and their importance um, and what they do and how they operate. Like then the the short and skinny of it is that uh, you can hook your computer up to it or you can hook like, I don't know, a little PCI card or whatever it is up to it um, if it doesn't have any kind of uh, like, like digital I.O. from your computer. And it essentially... Uh, I can either do analog to digital, it can do digital to analog, or it can do digital to analog, analog to digital. The dad. And uh, yeah, you need it in order to go analog, and you don't know how important it is until um, you're significantly down the line. And then you're like, man, I kind of want to like shoot out converters here. And so I don't know, that's at least me. And I've had a whole year where I was shooting out converters. Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything you want to say on the converter? <laughs> Um, is it like a frustrating thing? Is it like a, it's a necessary evil kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I would just say with converters, I mean, I think I said it before, but unless you're willing to spend, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars, you're not going to... I've used like, not all, but I'll say most entry-level pseudo-pro converters and tested them out. You know, Focusrite, UA, you know, uh, DigiDesign. All those, like, kind of... I don't want to call them entry-level because that might sound negative, but they're just cheaper converters, and they don't sound as good as high-end converters. Like, I know that to be true. I've done the tests. 
And if you experience a great converter, everything kind of uh, changes for you because you feel like a blanket or the wool has been lifted from your eyes, in my opinion. Like you finally got the right prescription. <laughs> the wool has been lifted from your ears. <laughs> from your ears. Um, that's about how it felt uh, when I got the Hilo and and really fell in love with how sterile the Hilo is and clean it is um, compared to other converters. But yeah, it's super important. And if you're going to go out of the box, you definitely are going to want a great converter to take advantage of what you're trying to do. You're trying to, to send audio out, which in theory already degrades the sound on some level because you're going through cables. And then hit a piece of gear and then come back in through more cables back in the box. And Matt, I think you've done a good job over the years talking about the pros and cons of going in and out of the box and and is it worth it or not. Mm. But you want to give yourself the best chance to hear what you're doing. If you're going to spend 5000 bucks on a massive passive, you want to hear what it's doing and hear all those intricacies and the details and a good converter will allow you to actually hear that as well as a good room. A lot of people think converters don't matter because they can't hear the difference because they're in a crappy room. It's all, uh, as John Brandt has said, it's all a system. Your room is a system. So everything impacts everything. Um, so if you're going to go analog, I would always encourage you like buy... Save money up to buy the converter first or buy the converter and the piece of gear together um, because it's that important, in my opinion. So that's what I'll say about converters. Get a good one. Yeah. And I would say that the nice thing about the Hilo, which is a good first converter or a first nice converter, yeah. um, and it could probably last you your whole career. I'm still um, using it. Yeah, I've had some like weird software things happen with it recently, but like all in all, as far as conversion goes, it's really nice. And it's so sterile that it just kind of like stays out of the way and it just kind of leaves like the whole thing just kind of not the whole thing, like like the the mix, like the master whatever you're working on, it just kind of leaves out in front of you exposed. And there's no way for for like anything to really kind of hide and any like nook and cranny of the mix. It's like everything is there. You can hear just about everything you want to. And uh, you'll probably go back and listen to some old stuff and you'll be like, oh man, I didn't even know that part was there. And uh, it's kind of the nice thing about having a very out of the way converter. Now, as opposed to like my other one that I have, the Crane Song Head, that thing can get very much in the way. And I would say that thing is not a very like, I'm not going to say clean. I think it's really clean. Um, but I do not think it's as transparent as the Hilo. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 have my, I have my own reservations as far as converters go. Go listen to that episode if you want to hear more about that. The last part about converters before we get into this last part that I have. If you've gotten this far, then you're probably interested in, you know, that what I'm what I'm about to say next, which is kind of getting into now like the first piece of analog gear that you're gonna buy. Um save a little bit of extra budget, because here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna forget to buy cables. <laughs> yes. I know this one hundred percent, and everyone who has been there has definitely bought a sweet piece of gear and now has to wait another, I don't know, few days to a week in order to get new cables in. Or someone's bought cables and they've been too short or they weren't planning on like, I don't know, you have like one piece. Of, it's like one, like it's on like one side of the rack and another, and like the daisy chains on like, like where it's streaming from is on another side of the rack or you buy the sends and you forget to get the returns or something. And it's like, or like the stuff you have doesn't reach. And yeah, it's just, it's just a hot mess. So give yourself a little bit of grace, give yourself a little bit of extra padding with the budget and uh, just know you'll probably forget to buy cables. If you're building gear, I was building some stuff and I was like, okay, I got to get all this stuff. And then I only, I realized I only ordered half the stuff I needed. It's like, ah, crap. So that's going to happen. Give yourself a little bit of grace with that. All right, let's get into uh, the first piece of gear. Do you have a recommendation for a first piece of gear or at least a mindset 
of how to of like what piece should be kind of like the first piece. If I was to do it all over again, my first piece of gear would be my massive passive. Mm-hmm. And that's just because it's so versatile, especially at the mastering stage. You can literally do, the word I'm writing down right now. Yeah. You can just do so much with it. And that doesn't mean it's a bad piece of gear because sometimes people are like, oh, it does everything. So it must not be great at anything. But it's great at everything. <laughs> at everything mm-hmm. it does. That would be that's probably my desert island at this stage. The one piece of gear, massive passive. You know, it's not a limiter, of course, but making records sound good and done and balanced, which is really what makes a record sound great. And then the limiting is just, you're kind of just bringing up a balanced signal at that stage um, and not really having to limit it. Uh, the massive passive for me is my go-to. I think anybody who owns one or buys one, they rarely sell them. Um, because it just sounds so good and it can get you out of so much trouble in theory or solve problems. It, it feels a lot a lot like um, you can almost remix the song at times. If, oh, yeah. And that was the way it manipulates and bends within the curves and how they overlap. Excuse me. <clears throat> is um, Is amazing. And that would be my first purchase again well I didn't buy it first if I could do it all over again that's what I would buy I would save up money and just buy that and then you have it for life like that's the other thing too is gear can feel like it's, it feel like it's expensive but you know I you spend five thousand dollars on a piece of gear but you get to use it for 20 30 years. That's not like a huge cost over the lifetime of um, you know of your career. Also, the amount of money it can make you, in theory, helping you work faster and provide a better product. That's I know the Massive Passive does that for me. It helps me make better records quicker. That is worth a ton of money at this stage. So time is really important to me. So this piece of gear saves me time, which equals money at the end of the day. Once you get really busy, you realize how important time is. Um, Hmm. It always is important. But when you're first starting off, you're kind of like, well, I have an abundance of time because I don't have enough clients. But then when you start to see, oh, I get X amount of money per hour in theory, then time becomes really valuable. So not that we're working from a place of urgency, but you know, people want you to do their records and you get busy and you want to help them out. So you want to see how can I maximize my time, you know, while doing a great job. The massive passive helps me out with that massively. Excellent. <laughs> Period. Matt, hand off to you. First piece um, of gear you'd buy. Not convert. what I would. <laughs> what I would say is um, don't go cheap. Yeah, don't do that. Um, I think. And in the how to buy gear episode, I laid out like a whole laundry list of, I actually thought I'd get a lot of hate for this and nothing came of it. So (laughs) cool. Um, I might be pointing hate towards it now. I I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, um, I laid out like a whole thing of like different price points and kind of where gear falls in those price points. And I'm not saying that you can't get gear for like a good value. Um, I would more assume that value would come on the used market, probably not like in 2020, 2021 or 2022, like when we're recording this, because like there's like a like a weird kind of like inflation that's happening. Only like, I feel like in the gear market, it's inflated because the gear market thinks that, we should do an episode on this, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> I think the gear market thinks that it's like, oh yeah, because everything else is going up in value. I can charge, like, I saw like a Maslick MEA2, some dude selling it for like eight grand. And I was like, dude, shut up and sit down. <laughs> no one's paying, like, like people are like inflating their price. Like, yeah, man, there's a shortage. It's like, well, no one's paying eight grand for something that's sixty five hundred dollars. I'm right. sorry. And it's like, this is absolutely retarded. So. It's like 
Okay, the Crane song had Quantum. There's literally none of them made anymore. Like, Dave Hill does not make them, and good luck ever finding one. I see people selling them used. Like, they go for four grand new. I've seen people sell them used, and they sold for seven grand. I understand that. I understand people selling Sontex for a lot of money. I'm not comparing the head to a Sontex. I'm just saying that in some cases, when there's a super limited quantity of something that's really good, yeah, you're going to see... Uh, like it's 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 not inflation; it's appreciation at that point. But it's like there's not a lack of MEA twos in the world to where it's like they would ever warrant going over sixty five hundred bucks. Um, I don't know what would be another one. Um, oh, here's one: the Manly Backbone. This little insert switcher you never find them around, and. I don't know. If you can find them in the fours, it's almost like go ahead and nab them. Um, I found mine for a little bit less. Like I saw the price and I was like, I'm just going to offer this guy just a little bit lower. And he bit. And I was like, all right, I have to do this. And it's I, I absolutely love it. And so these things can really drive a hard bargain and they can drive value. I've heard rumors that Manly is looking at bringing back the backbone, which would be really cool. And so that would not necessarily deflate the market. It would just kind of bring the like appreciation of the old ones down back to the normal like MSRP or lower kind of a level. So first of all, I don't think that there's like any inflation as far as gear is concerned. It's like you did have like a factory in Japan that makes like a lot of the converter chips like burn down, but I mean yeah, components are pretty scarce, but I also think people are really good about like ordering ahead. And it's like if you can't get some stuff, then you can't get some stuff. But I don't think that's gonna like. I think that I think the gear market, if it were like to like inflate, it would inflate to a very hilarious bubble, like in a very like quick bursting bubble to where someone's like, yeah, I bought like a like a manly very mover like i got a deal like 12 grand it's like well you're going to be laughing in a few months when everything does open back up and that sucker is now not worth as much okay my little rant on that's over <laughs> i just thought that whole thing was kind of funny cuz i've been watching these markets being like man y'all are ridiculous so anyway don't go cheap but that doesn't mean be an idiot and buy something that's like super overpriced if someone's selling a sontech for 40 grand that thing, I, I don't know what would need to happen for me to like have to buy that or whose hands had to be on that for how many years or something. Or There's probably nothing that would actually make me buy a $40,000 <laughs> on tech. So it's like, you know the value of them, like the really, really, really nice ones are like 20 grand. In general, you can buy a new one from Burgess for eleven five. So... I'm sure when you can't get anything new made, the value will go up. And then, I mean, even still, it's like, I, 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 I don't know. 20 at the highest, but 11.5 is what they go for, like, new. It's kind of like, Sam, Sam's kind of been seeing me, like, on the whole, like, like, Sam and I have been talking a lot about watches. One of the weird <laughs> things about watches, no, let's talk, like, yeah. like, markets real quick. The one thing on markets is that if you were to buy... Let's just say that a company were to release a watch at six grand, but the used market immediately is twelve grand on that watch. Yeah. It's like why would like if that's not a bubble, and I'm not saying that it's not, then the company if it's not a bubble, then the company needs to raise their price essentially double because that's what the market is willing to pay for that product. They're willing to pay twelve grand instead of six grand for it. And so it's like that's what will happen. And you'll end up seeing a quote unquote market correction where they're like Oh, why'd you change it 12 grand? It's like, that's literally what the used market was at on them. And so like that market is going crazy. I don't think the gear market is that. Anyway, don't go cheap. Don't buy like really cheap gear for the sake of like going out of the box. You're going to end up doing more harm than you are good. Um, I'm keeping an eye on the time, Sam. Okay. Um, I, think the, I think the first thing that you need, as like Sam said, is versatility I think the second thing that you need, if not the first thing that you need to consider, is you need to ask yourself, like, what problem is this gear solving? I think that gear is to solve a problem. You can use it as an enhancement, sure. But I think, like, 
there's probably a pain point, and if you're a pretty new, if you're a pretty new mastering engineer, I would say that you definitely do have problems with mixes that you're getting. I don't think you'd probably be getting like really incredible stuff right off the bat. So I would say that you do have problems and you do have pain points that you would like to have solved. And so you need to ask yourself, what problem would they solve? Me personally, what would I buy first? I, I mean. I really like the massive passive. I have thought of, I, I have not even told Sam this. I have thought about selling it. Oh, wow. I, I know. I've <laughs> talked to a few people. I haven't talked to you about that. I don't know why. You're scared. I have thought about selling it. And before the plugin came out, I was thinking about getting a Soma. And I don't know. It's like I just wanted something that was like, a, like tubey, but like a little tighter like a little tighter channel to channel. And uh-huh. I know like having the the NIF, I now know it's NIF or KNIF, the very Mew, which I didn't care for, but I wanted something out of a very Mew that it wasn't doing. Um, but channel to channel, I never had like deviation and stuff like that. And so it's like, if man, if I can have that, but like the channels are just tighter linked, I was like, that would be cool. Um, I had thought about that. I, I don't. I don't know if I'm there yet. There's another part of me that's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even gonna get into it. It's not important. That's not this episode. <laughs> so the massive passive is one of them. As Sam said, it's like, it's a Swiss Army knife in a compressor, and it's like you get into it, and initially it's like a little bit intimidating, but then you like kind of get your like footing around it, and you're like, man, this thing is so sick. It's so cool. I honestly don't understand why people buy like super clean stuff first. Because I don't know if that's necessarily going to be like a problem that you're going to be needing solved. Right. And when like stuff in the box is already so clean that I don't know if that would be my first go-to. My first go-to would be something really fun and super versatile. So it would either be the massive passive or the or what I did, uh, you know, self-validation here, <laughs> the Neve Master Bus Processor. And you can use it as a compressor if you want. I don't really think it's a good compressor for mastering because, as I've said before, you can hear the compression happen before the meters meter it. Um, It'd be cool if there was a way to kind of like tighten up the metering so that you could actually meter it um, a little bit at like a little bit lower of a compression value. So I don't really think it's that helpful if I can't meter it until... Like I'm already like hearing it, and I probably already have too much of it. Um, so, but it's like as far as a compressor, sure. Like the gain staging on it is delicious. The any of the the silk knobs, the red or the blue, I, I think it's like absolutely fantastic. Um, and I mean, we can get into all that later. Um, and the serial field editor, I think, is worth the price of the box alone. Um, and I'm gonna say, get the white face. Because that's vintage. There's a blackface now. Anyway, those are the two that I would get. Um, if you're not going to get a massive passive, I'd at least say kind of look for like a 2BQ or something. Something fun. Like that's the big thing. Like like have fun with it. Get something that's going to inspire you. And if you don't care about our list at all, then I say, yeah, just get something that inspires you. My first few pieces of gear, I did Link's Hilo. Um, Master Bus Processor, I did the Maslick MPL2, and then I think I did the backs. And then that's when I, then after that, I started doing the manling stuff. Um, and I don't think I would change how I did it. I might have gotten the Massive Passive a little bit sooner, but like maybe before the backs. But I didn't know how much of a problem it could solve. So let's see. Oh, yeah. And then like my final point on this whole thing is... There's some of these pieces, like when you turn it on, you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm in love with this thing. I don't know. But it's like, sit with it before you sell it. Um, But I'll tell you what, and this is the thing with the massive passive. I immediately turned it on and just started dialing it in. And I was like, shit, man, I'm going to make back this money so quick. That's like the one thing people don't think about gear. They just see the expense. And it's like, it's not about the expense. It's like, you're going to make that money back so quick if you have the clientele to support it. You have the business to do whatever. It's like that money is going to come in and it's like probably going to be better than anything you're going to dump your money in. And as far as like stock market or anything else goes, it's like, I don't know. 
how many times back do I think I've made back my money on that investment? It's like hand over fist. And I think Sam would say the same. Mm-hmm. So like disgustingly. So <laughs> it's really worth it. Do you have anything else? We have five minutes. No, I think until I'm we good. Really need honestly. To go. I think I'm good too. Take us home. Sweet. Sweet, sweet, sweet. All right. If you hear the sweet beat in the background, it's from the one and only Sam Moses. Everyone give him a little, you know, a little round of applause. This is like 114, Woo-hoo. 115, 116 of these you've done. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Not repeating one. It's incredibly impressive. And all the sound effects and everything, man, you're just awesome. Too good Thank to this show. Thank you. Thank you. If, oh, yeah. If you would like a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For The Record Mastering. Both of us would love to help you, help your music, and take everything to the next level. Call something done, polish it, and send it on its way. Like Get get that puppy on out in the world. So we would love to be that resource for you. Let's see, what else? If you wouldn't mind... Like taking a screenshot right now or earlier in the episode, post on Instagram. Say, hey, I really like this episode. Share with your friends, family, your dog. That'd be great. We'd appreciate it. Um, Any little cross-marketing we can do or just any problem with the show, we just really, really appreciate it. Um, If nothing else, just kind of like knowing who's listening and uh, just so we can reach out and be like, hey, thank you so much for like being you and listening to the show it really means a lot to us uh-huh. so I think that's all I have it's great you can leave a review yeah not a lot of people leave reviews but if you want to leave a review that'd be great we'd love reviews anywho I would say that's about done <laughs> and so yeah morning afternoon evening whatever you're having have a darn good one we'll catch y'all in the next episode cue up the music cue it see y'all bye 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 bye